And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast. Holy crap! What a weekend in the NBA and specifically the Western Conference. That's right, Western Conference only today. We're not even going to talk about how the Hawks just hired Quinn Snyder with like 20 games left in the season. I talked about that last week. Good luck, Hawks. Kakaw! We're not even going to talk about how the Bucks. Mark Lassery just sold his stake in the team at a $3.5 billion valuation to the dudes who own the Browns, and we'll get to that another day. In the Western Conference over the weekend, holy smokes, the Clippers with Russell Westbrook actually playing okay, lost two straight overtime games, including the second highest scoring game in the history of the NBA, 176-175, that's a real thing, to the Kings where the Clippers basically just gave the Kings the ball over and over again down the stretch of regulation and then lost. The Mavericks are scuffling, can't defend anybody, can't defend the paint. Maxi Kleba coming back soon to try to help that. The Wolves are scuffling, we'll get to them. Damian Lillard had 71 points, we'll get to that. Klay Thompson hit 12 threes, Klay is back. Offensively, Clay is as pretty much as good as he's ever been. The Kings are creeping up on the Grizzlies for the number two seed and have the tiebreak likely in hand because of conference record. Uh, although the schedule's favor the Grizzlies. The Pelicans, Zion is still out. They're falling. Oklahoma City's falling. Utah's not going anywhere. And the Los Angeles Lakers. This is at least the third time I've had Dave McMenamin on the podcast and said, just what do you thought? Just when you thought, just when you thought the Lakers are four and one since remaking their team at the trade deadline, they have won three in a row. They came back from 27 points down in Dallas on Sunday. I think it was Sunday. I've lost all track of time. I think it was yesterday uh, to beat the Mavericks. They are now 29 and 32. Remarkably, Dave McMenamin seeds five through 13 in the Western Conference. That's nine teams. Nine teams all have either 30, 31, or 32 losses as we enter what proceeds to be, what promises to be rather, a wacky stretch run. The Lakers' odds of making the playoffs, 538 now has them at 50-50 to make the playoffs. Other systems are a little bit more pessimistic than that. But they even those pessimistic systems have them like 50-50 to make the play-in. This is happening, uh, and the Lakers are a team that makes sense now. Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt have fit snugly into the starting five. Dennis Schroeder took D'Angelo Russell's place over the weekend, and Dennis Schroeder, to me, has kind of been one of the unsung heroes of their season. Um, Got a big game in Memphis tomorrow, Tuesday. That's where you are, Dave, and then a big game in Oklahoma City that could, I believe, uh, help this. Well, they trail Oklahoma City 0-1. 1-0 OKC in the head-to-head series, so all these games are big. Dave, the Lakers look pretty dangerous. How are you? I'm great, and I agree with you. They are a team. I think the thing that you said that resonated with me was they're a team that makes sense. There's roster balance. There are complementary pieces. There are switchable defenders that can implement Darvin Ham's defensive minded approach to the game and there are some guys who can hit some shots and even when they're not hitting shots uh, they are guys who aren't just a shot specialist who can provide some thrust on the defensive end I'm talking about Malik Beasley he gets super hot against the Warriors looks great the first came out of the break it was all well and good doesn't look so good against Dallas 
offensively, but defensively still giving the type of effort that can allow him to stay on the court and not just be a one-trick pony. And man, Jared Vanderbilt is a find. And I scratch my head every time I watch him to think that by the age of 23, two NBA franchises have already said, you know, uh, we'll we'll send you somewhere else. Uh, It's shocking to me. Well, it's because he can't shoot, but he can do a lot of other stuff very well. And all that other stuff has served the Lakers quite well and fits right into what they want to do, which is beat the crap out of you in the paint. And um, the fact that nobody guards him is going to be an issue. And you see it already. He's in the corner. Uh, spotting up around LeBron, AD pick and rolls. The floor is very scrunched. AD rolls into a cluttered paint. If you reverse the rolls and have Vanderbilt as a screener, which is when he's kind of even better, that relegates Anthony Davis to kind of a spot-up role. Um, Playing two guys who are, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to call AD a non-shooter at this point, but certainly his jumper has been wonky for three years now, almost since the bubble. Um, it makes it harder for them to use D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley as ball screeners for LeBron, which really should be one of their go-to plays because you're you're pulling one of your only spot-up shooters into the action and, and cramping your spacing. But, but if you ignore Jared Vanderbilt, he's going to crash the living hell out of the offensive glass and teams will ignore him and he has punished them. His offensive rebounding rate has spiked already with the Lakers. And defensively, LeBron, AD, Vanderbilt is a thing and it's working. They can switch three, four, five across all the front court positions. They kind of need all three of those guys on the floor to cover for the guards and to have enough size and rebounding. And that's okay. I think it's okay. Again, the spacing on the offense will be a challenge, but no team is perfect. They've used Vanderbilt as sort of the Swiss army knife. They had him guard Brandon Ingram against the Pelicans. They had him guard Luca yesterday against Dallas and then switched everything and and that worked. And defensively, I think that's going to be a real a real kind of solid top 10-ish, top maybe even better de- defensive lineup. And then everything else kind of clicks into place. You have Russell and Beasley starting. Dennis Schroeder comes off the bench. Rui Hachimura is now the backup power forward that they didn't really have. You can use Vando in in that in that spot if you want. Austin Reeves, I think, has had a nice season for them. And when he looks to score, they're a different they're a different team, and, and he's been looking to score more in recent games. Just just when the opportunity presents itself, catch, go, score. Backup center, a little bit of a question with Bamba. Um, you saw them bench him in the second half against Dallas, but between Hachimura and Vanderbilt, they've got they've got spots there. And again, it's a team now with more shooting and defense that makes sense. And at the same time, they've that's a um that is damning with faint praise, I think is the saying, that the, the Lakers, congratulations, you have a team that made sense. Because you had a team that made sense. Then you made one gigantic trade that gave you a team that didn't make sense. Then you undid that trade in quite artful fashion. And now the team makes sense. And I think they're a solid team. I, I don't know where they're going to finish. I still have questions about the defense with those two guards on the floor, really any combination of any lineup that doesn't have AD and Vanderbilt, I'm going to worry about defensively. And the spacing when you do have those two guys, I'm not sure what the ceiling is. But they are graduating to... This is this is not something to just sort of chuckle at and say, oh, ha, let's all overreact to three or four games. Like This is a, this is a team that's something now, I think. I don't know what they are, but I'm, I bet internally they think they are, okay, now we got something. Now we got a team that can go toe-to-toe with anybody, I bet, right? 
That's what that's what they're thinking. I'm guessing. Yeah, the confidence is sky high right now, and I think AD is a, a pretty strong bellwether always because he's not very good at hiding his emotions, and his spirits are through the roof right now. You see it the way he's playing on the court, but uh, I caught his eye from across the locker room last night, and I mean it's a joyous locker room. Everybody's ripping on Austin Reeves for getting caught on camera talking to Josh Green. Everybody's saying, you know, you ain't bleep, and I'm going to bleep the bleep out of you. Everybody. Everybody's going by Austin. Like, I don't want to front you. And I catch AD's eye from across the locker room, and he's sitting in between Vanderbilt and LeBron. And he kind of, like, goes like this, the gesture towards Vanderbilt, gesture towards LeBron, two thumbs up, huge smile. Like, what do we have here? Thank the Lord. God, this is very nice. nice. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, I feel like AD probably does have some bar in his bag. Um, I feel like that would be up his alley for a sense of humor. So, uh, and, and look at the way he's doing it. Like, late in the game, they need a bucket. Dennis Schroeder's commanding the offense. He's He looks towards LeBron. LeBron points, no, you get that ball to AD. AD's posting up a Luka uh, Doncic turn around, fade away, like going to a jump shot in a crucial situation. That to me also shows what level he's at physically, uh, that he's not just trying to, to jam it around the rim. So hey, it, it's a good spot to be in. They still have a ton of work. Um, and you could say, well, why did it wait so long to make the trade or whatever you want to say? But uh their strength of schedule is somewhat favorable down the stretch as well. I do. They, you know, they have a couple games against the Suns with Kevin Durant or assuming Kevin Durant would be there in that moment. And they are in the midst of this stretch of seven straight games against Western conference teams with better records than them. And so they got to continue, uh, not stumble here. You know, if they go one and two on this trip that Dallas comebacks all for not, but uh, they're, they're playing like a team that, expects to be there and i think belief is a a huge part of of the equation when it comes to these type of things yeah the next half dozen games are tough um although you know teams that have a better record than them that's sometimes half a game or a game or now it's essentially you're playing your peers some of whom may be in in less uh good health situations than they than their you know record might indicate um Overall, they have 12 home games left and nine road games. Um, by winning percentage only, they have, I think, tied for the second easiest schedule left in the Western Conference, which is why some of these systems are pretty high on on their playoff odds. Um, and, I mean, they, they got – you're already hearing murmurings from um, front office executives across the league being like, wait a second, hold on. Let, now that the rubble has settled from the trade deadline, Utah traded Mike Conley – Jared Vanderbilt and Malik Beasley, and they got one first round pick. Like Conley went to Minnesota and protected one through four. I mean, I've heard well, and some... genius protection by the Lakers, yeah, one to four absolutely. protection. And if you don't get it that year, it it just becomes a second round pick that year, which is the Lakers were kind of limited to what protections they could do if they wanted to keep other trade eligible picks in play. But still, like, um, I think Utah would say, well, of course we canvassed the league and we concluded that we might have been able to get more collective picks trading those guys in separate deals, but none of the upside 
of a 2027 Lakers pick. Everyone fetishizes these Lakers picks as if the Lakers are just going to fall into incompetence. I mean, and, and admittedly they did for a half decade, but that pick is protected as such that the ceiling is not like that, that high. And those are good players. And the Lakers got D'Angelo Russell out of that deal. Plus, plus, um, Beasley and Vanderbilt and Russell has barely played for them due to injury. You mentioned AD. I mean, to me, all right. So here's so here's a little inside baseball. I we it's three fifteen p.m. So NBA today is on now. I have it. I will watch it later. So I don't know what's happening now. I will tell people this. I got a call from the producers at one fifteen p.m. saying, "Hey, so we just pulled everyone on the show today, like all four panelists on the show. I think it's Ramona, Shelburne, Tristan Thompson, Vince Carter, and." Somebody I'm forgetting. Apologies. Mark Spears, perhaps. Mark Spears. Mark Spears. Um, and we asked them, today, right now, if the Lakers played the Nuggets in a first-round playoff series, which by definition means Denver has home court advantage, or if the Lakers played the Grizzlies in a first-round playoff series, just those two teams was was what was told to me, with the Grizzlies, of course, having home court, who would you pick? Four for four. Lakers over Nuggets, Lakers over Grizzlies. And the producers called me and said, do you think that's a little off? And would you like to come on the show and say that that's a little off? I said, I I do think it's a little off, but I can't come on the show today. I would just, I just want to pump the brakes a little. Like that's a lot. Beating teams of that quality four times in seven games. You have 29 wins on the season. I understand the team is brand new. There are going to be hiccups. There are always hiccups. And I guess you mentioned AD, and I want to go back to that. I think at some point, if this Lakers team is going to be that good, that the, the team that the panelists are picking to beat the number one seed in the first round and the number two seed in the first round, which by definition means you can think they can win the title, I think one or both of LeBron and Anthony Davis are going to have to start hitting jump shots. And it, otherwise, I just think the offense is going to be a little too constricted. LeBron's three has been off all season. Anthony Davis is shooting 24% on threes and 42% on long twos. His volume, on he's not even taking a lot of long twos anymore. And AD, since he came back from injury, is averaging 22 and 13 on 50% shooting. And it's kind of been up and down. Like he was outstanding against Dallas. And before that, I think three of his previous four games were under 15 points. Uh, and and he only had five shots. Some, only had five yeah. shots the first game out of the break. Yep. So I think before I kind of crown him as that kind of threat, I just need. And this has always been the question, right? LeBron's thirty-seven years old. AD's injured all the time. Like I just need to see them bring it a little bit more consistently. And I just think one of them is going to have to have a jump shooting run at some point. LeBron, having followed him for a while now, he will go in and out of a jump shooting groove. Uh, and it was a brief time this season where he did have one. It was, you know, I want to say sometime post birthday when he went on that scoring run, it didn't last all that long. Uh, it was a week or so, but he'll put in the work to try to find that rhythm. Uh, I, I don't think AD is, I, I just, I don't trust it uh, for him to rediscover it this season. Uh, you know, maybe that, you just try to stay healthy and, and you build on that in the off season or whatever. Um, but I don't see that's going to happen all of a sudden this year. They're going to need D'Angelo Russell to be healthy and, and provide a consistent shooting threat, which he certainly has. Uh, yeah. and, and, and Beasley and, 
you know, maybe a guy like Troy Brown Jr., um, you know, in his minutes that he gets, be encouraging him to shoot. Um, he's had moments this year where he's been reliable from the outside. But, yeah, I agree. That's because right now Vando's so great because he's creating transition opportunities. But in the, in the, the playoffs, if they get there, everything slows down, and it grinds down to a halt, and you're not going to be playing three on two, four on one, whatever fast break basketball all the time where obviously LeBron's lethal. Uh, you're going to have to be, you know, but the thing is that the ball will be more in LeBron's hands and LeBron's will be spraying out the guys. And yeah, yeah, w- whether it's the guys that I just mentioned, whether it's Dennis Schroeder, whether they give Lonnie Walker uh, a, a shot again, you know, he got some early minutes yesterday with Russell out and when he had kind of been out of the rotation, there are people on the roster. You could say, okay, there's more shooting we can pull out of them. Um, whereas I don't know before the trade deadline, you could say that. That's fair. Um, I, I just, I would like to see AD consistently play really, really well, but I, I'm, if he stays healthy, he's, he's just, he's a force obviously. And, and so far the quartet of Beasley, LeBron, Davis, Vanderbilt, just 36 minutes together. That's all plus 25 and 36 minutes. That's a lot. Just awesome on both ends of the floor and Beasley's a guy I mean I was sitting on this podcast all season long begging Memphis begging New Orleans begging any team who needs shooting to go get Malik Beasley because I said it last week there are shooters there are movement shooters and there are movement shooters who can be sprinting into the catch and on a dime stop and shoot a three and that is Malik Beasley. And those chess pieces are really, really dangerous. They warp the whole geometry or half the half the geometry of the floor. And he's a sneaky – he doesn't always um, engage the passing part of his game. But we've seen it with AD already. Like one dribble, two dribble, easy read, lob pass, slip pass kind of stuff coming off screens. He's a pretty good passer in those situations. And if you watch the Wolves a lot and – uh, and the Jazz even, but especially when he was on the Wolves, Chris Finch had a bunch of like really complicated set pieces for him, like Quinn Snyder level mad scientist set pieces. Um, and the Lakers have already stolen a couple of those. And that's not to denigrate the Lakers. That's what coaches do. They steal from each other. And those have worked really well. I think he's a really good fit for them. And the other thing I'll say is, and this is the Dallas game showed this, they're down 27 in that game. And you can see, you can feel the tectonic plates of the NBA media shifting towards Okay, tomorrow morning we're gonna laugh at the Lakers and all the false hype that they they generated with this three game winning streak when they're down twenty seven. Ups and downs, roster turmoil, the rust situation spiraling, pretty much all season long amid all that. And credit to the players and credit to Darvin Ham, they've played hard all season, which has made their losing almost harder to stomach because they were playing hard and losing games. This is a competitive team, man. They've played hard all year. You've seen it up close every game. They play hard. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, look at their record at 29-32. They're easily, I can rattle off three or four games that, you know, late game execution costs them, whether in Philadelphia, Anthony Davis doesn't make his free throws, whether at home against Philadelphia, Russell Westbrook decides to go one-on-one against Joel Embiid, whether it's, in Boston, uh, LeBron James is fouled by Jason Tatum and loses his mind and and has a mental breakdown on the court afterwards. Uh, you know, there's three right there. You give them that, and you're above 500. And and so they're uh, they have been. They've held on to the rope. And you know, a guy like Beasley, one, he goes what three for 14 against the Mavericks. 
that's not a good night, but he had a big shot to cut it from 17 down to 14 late in the second quarter that added to the momentum that brought into the, the locker room. And, and the way he was so fired up about him, he knew it was, it was meaningful, you know, 17 and 14 might not seem that big of a difference, but it, it is. I, it, it really, I think was something that fed into their energy going into the third quarter. And, one of my favorite stories, maybe my favorite story that, that I've learned about these guys since they made the trade was they're at shoot around the day of the first game out of the break against Golden State. They're running some script offense. Beasley is passing the ball to AD in the post. AD takes the ball, throws it off the court out of bounds, says, no, run it again. You're out here. You're supposed to shoot it. You shoot that ball. Beasley shoots it. That night in the game goes seven seven for eleven from three, and that's what AD has been talking about ever since they made the trades. Like it's nice to get guys, but we need these guys to come in and, and be themselves. Like I need them to be empowered to be themselves. That's the only way we can actually get out of this rut that we're in. Uh, yeah, to me, like that's AD showing leadership. That's BZ recognizing the situation he's in. It's also you know, guess what? LeBron, year 20, 38 years old. Let's talk about some other guys taking some of the offensive load. I know he's an all-time leading scorer in NBA history, but uh, with both of his feet <laughs> not doing too well right now, let's literally take some pressure uh, off of him. Yeah, that w- we should probably talk about that. You were at the game, and I was watching it on TV. The mics caught LeBron saying, I heard a pop when he when he planted on his right foot and and went down yesterday and then stayed in the game. What did he say after the game? What were the what was the prognosis? The, not you just stayed in the game. Everything's fine. Basically, stayed just in, in the pain. game. He's going to continue to get it monitored over the next couple of days. I saw him walk out of the arena. There was a pronounced limp. I saw him get his foot worked on in the post game locker room. Uh, you said there was some pain radiating from kind of like the back heel area of his foot. It didn't appear to be ankle at first on the court. It looked like it was ankle. He actually thought that he stepped. On uh, who was it? Was it Powell guarding him? Um, the, the, he thought he stepped on the defender's foot. The way it felt, um, but it's on the outside part of, of the foot that he was feeling the pain. And again, he's been dealing with this left foot pain for months now. And and to me, you know, how these things work. Like you overcompensate, and all of a sudden, another part of your body becomes susceptible. That's the problem with getting old in this game. Uh, well, this is why I'm saying we got to pump the brakes. And like Denver is an elite team. Memphis has been up and down, but they're a really good team. Phoenix, who was conveniently left out of that question, at least in how it was told to me, is going to be a monster. Beating those teams four times in seven games, you need to be clicking on all cylinders. And like health is going to be a question. And even as, as well as they've done reshaping their roster, you're looking at their second unit yesterday. And I know D'Lo wasn't, wasn't playing, so Dennis Schroeder would have been on as part of this unit. But it was like, was kind of the unwanted leftovers of bad teams. It, it, it's not that amazing of a second unit, but it, but it will balance out when they're healthy. I'm just saying, like, I just need to see a little more of the perimeter defense and how the offense works. Because beating those teams is a tall order. But you go down the line, like, Memphis has been... I think Memphis destroyed Denver over the weekend to right the ship, but they were four and ten over a fourteen game stretch at one point. I, I, you know, and teams really get up. I mean, if they could just bring Shannon Sharp to every game, home and away, <laughs> maybe that would help. Their In the playoffs, they probably could, right? They could. <laughs> yeah. um, 
That would actually be a good gimmick, not to give their show on a rival network ideas. Just to, just do a traveling Shannon Sharp road show for for whatever that show is called. I, it's not first take, but something else. Um, uh, uh, and you know, Sacramento third. No, with apologies to the Kings, teams are not scared of them as they would not be scared of most playoff newbies with the fifth worst defense in the NBA or wherever Sacramento is. And then down the line, it's like, I just mentioned all these teams have the same record. The Clippers, I, I just, Russ played pretty well over the weekend, but it's still a big, it's a big change this late in the game for a team that hasn't given a crap about the regular season to begin with. Then you just look at, just look at the Lakers schedule as instructive. You, all this stuff about X amount of games against teams with a better record than them. At Memphis tomorrow, they'll be underdogs in that game. At Oklahoma City on Wednesday, they'll be underdogs in that game if only because it's a road back-to-back. But if Shea doesn't play, that's a game this team should win still. Home against Minnesota. I think the Lakers will be favored in that game the way the Wolves are playing right now. More to come on them with John Krasinski. Hmm. Home against the Warriors. If if Steph's out, let alone Wiggins, who's out with personal some personal issue, they're favored in that game. Home against Memphis, that's winnable. Home against Toronto on two days rest. Home against the Knicks. Those are winnable games as well as the Knicks are playing. Then it's at New Orleans, at Houston. I mean, then the schedule gets easier from there. Right. Um, I, you can understand why people will look at this team and be like, well, who are they actually scared of in the West? You know, and there's obviously there's a lot of skepticism about Denver at, at the highest levels of the media. I happen to disagree with that. But I, I do think if they're healthy... This team, at the very least, is gonna is gonna bring a very good defense and LeBron James and Anthony Davis to the table every night. What that adds up to, I don't know, but I think I think it it's it's now officially a tough out that people will not be happy to play in the postseason if they get there. And, and listen, if they get there, we are talking about a team that now has been playing good basketball for a month and a half straight and has LeBron, who hasn't been in the playoffs in a couple of years and relishing that moment and has potential roster ramifications down the line. If there aren't, you know, uh, there, there isn't a strong performance. Uh, and, and, you know, for someone like Anthony Davis, who I spoke to last year at the end of the year when they didn't make the play in uh, and expressed in no uncertain terms, how much he wanted to stay a part of the Lakers franchise and hope that, they don't do anything drastic in the offseason in terms of looking for moves for him. Like there's all those motivating factors here. Plus the new guys, this is an extended audition for them to, you know, determine whether the Lakers will ultimately say, you know, part of this deal was, was to get off of Russ and change the energy for the rest of the season. But if we lose in the first round, well, what happened the last time they lost in the first round to the Suns? They blew up the roster and traded for us. And so if the standard is championship for this, this team, well, then if they just lose in the first round with this new group, then they've kind of already said that uh, maybe we'll let everybody come off the books and go the free agency route to make this team better for next year. So all those motivating factors stacking upon one another. But to me, the biggest thing is like, if they get there, that means they've been playing good basketball for an extended period of time. And, Normally, the teams I've covered that have LeBron James featured on them that are playing good basketball for an extended period of time going into the playoffs, what do they do? They go to the NBA freaking finals. They are 15 and 11 in their last 26 games, which doesn't seem like much, but is is fine considering the injuries and the ups and downs they've had. Um, 
age and health, though, I mean, that's the Phoenix series. You know, Chris Paul was hurt. The Suns people will always remind you Chris Paul was hurt and he's playing with one arm. That's fair. But AD got hurt in that series. AD gets hurt a lot, gets hurt a lot. Some teams are just more susceptible than others to the injury bug. And I think this is one. They've got some questions to answer sort of about what what this team looks and feels like on both ends of the floor and if they have enough two-way guys. But they're, I think they're pretty solid. And uh, and that makes for a fun stretch run for for us and for you, Dave McMenamin. I mean, you don't have to like you don't. It's now you don't have to do the free Dell where you just change beats after one after <laughs> after your team is gone. Suddenly Nick suddenly Nick Friedel's covering the Suns. The Suns, by the way, I t- I make this joke all the time. I'm now beginning to believe it. They need to ban Nick Friedel from their. They need to get anybody else. Every team Nick Friedel covers he is the is human cursed. rain cloud. The human rain cloud, Mister Eeyore, who has had uh, what the the Bulls' potential dynasty fell apart on his watch. The Warriors' dynasty legitimately fell apart on his watch. I guess it re- revamped once he was gone. Once he left. Yeah, once he left, and obviously, uh, I won't put the Brooklyn debacle on Nick Friedel though. That one was. I don't know if any any uh, intrepid reporter could. Uh, he didn't help <laughs> change. Well, that might be true. Your uh, is uh, hands down the best Winnie the Pooh character. Have I have I pulled you on that one? If who's your favorite Winnie the Pooh character? Do you no, have? Do you care? I like. Um, isn't I like the owl? I think his name is just Owl. Yeah, I was. It took me a second. But is it? Yeah, I, th- all, I like, think I'm pretty sure his name is Rabbit, just Owl. Piglet, Tanga, Rue. They are just, they're all just like You're the right. animal so they why are. Why is right? Eeyore named Eeyore then? That's Eeyore! Right. That must be why, because that's <laughs> yeah, the sound you make. It's like right, onomatopoeia. Anyway, uh, the Lakers are interesting, and their next stretch of games is very interesting. Dave McMenamin, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Great to see you, Zach. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. All right, let's take a break from Lakers and assorted other Western Conference things to stay in the West. And it's a little interlude that is very welcome. I mentioned earlier that Damian Lillard just scored 71 points against the hapless Houston Rockets, but still 71 is 71. He's on the greatest scoring run of his career. He's averaging 32.3 points per game now for the season. That's third in the entire stinking NBA behind only Embiid and Luka. And perfect timing. Baxter Holmes dropped a beautiful Damian Lillard feature. Uh, you went to Portland, Baxter, and spoke extensively to Damian Lillard 
about the sort of endless existential question of his career, which is what happens if you don't win a ring in Portland? Do you want to leave Portland, et cetera? What did you, why did you do this? And what did you um, come out of this sort of thinking about Damian Lillard and his time in Portland? What, what stuck with you? Well, first of all, in terms of the timing, we had actually talked about doing this at the uh, beginning of the season. I think in September we had, I talked to my editors about it, but then the NBA dropped their report on uh, Robert Sarver and the Phoenix Suns and everything else took a backseat for some time. But uh, in January, went up for a week, um, spent time with him around the team, et cetera. Uh, his perspective about everything was really striking to me, and especially the way that he framed the way that we view championships in the the whole conversation around the NBA and downplaying someone's career if they don't win. Um, and the value, which he talked about, of simply performing on a night-to-night basis, you know, giving fans their money's worth, having a connection to the city. And this concept of today of, of ring chasing and trade requests and, you know, is the grass greener elsewhere? And he had perspective. He talked about, uh, you know, Russell Westbrook bouncing around from team to team and the way that some other teams have kind of struggled and tried to find their footing and everything. Um, it was, yeah, but his his perspective, I mean, he's, he's 32, but he has kind of the, the, the wisdom of somebody um, who, who's a lot older, but yeah, it was, it was striking. I mean, we had actually planned to publish this. You and I were recording on Monday, but we had planned plan to publish this tomorrow. He went bonkers last night. So we pushed it up a day early. So it's pretty wild timing. Um, he is, I mean, I have not spent a ton of time talking one-on-one with Damian Lillard, but it doesn't take you long to realize how compelling he is. And you even mentioned in your, in your piece, like he, he, um, he trained his eyes on you when he really wanted to make a point. And eye contact is this, you know, these guys have so many interactions with so many different people who want a piece of their time every day. It's only natural that both you, that both them and sometimes us sort of zone out and focus on everything else that's going on in our brains and all the other stuff. He has this way of just like, I am talking to you and I'm going to stare you down because I want you to actually listen to what I'm saying. And he's incredibly compelling. And I, the most time I spent up in Portland was uh, the year, I think it was 1819. They ended up making the conference finals. Is it 1819 or is it 18, Yeah, 18, I think 1819. Yeah, I believe that's right. It's the year after they got swept by New Orleans in the first round. And I went up there because I that sweep felt like it should have ended something with that franchise, like a, a coaching change, a big trade, something like we've run its this has run its course. We've got to pivot some way just for the sake of pivoting. And they didn't. And I wanted to answer the question, like, what is that like to just get humiliated like that and bounce back? And he he had this whole thing about how when he was a kid growing up in Oakland and one of the adults said, all right, you guys have to clean the house today. And if and if there were six kids, let's say six, seven cousins, siblings, whatever around if one person didn't do their part, 
that meant they all didn't do their part. Like it was nobody. There's no finger pointing. Like everyone is supposed to do their part. It's I, I'd have to look up the exact quote, but it was one of those things. That like, man, this guy really believes this. And you talk to players around the team, just how he sets the culture for that team. Like I had one player I'll never forget tell me, you know, a couple other guys were one guy was grumbling to another guy, really low voice in the locker room about his minutes and not playing enough. And Dame heard it and just went over there and was like, hey, just so you know. We don't we don't do that here. Like we're all pulling in one direction. There's just don't we're not verbalizing that here. Um Jay Triano, who was an assistant with Portland for a long time early in Dame's career, once told me a story that Dame was out there pregame. You know how like the deep, deep bench guys play two on two or three on three with coaches. Um and this might have been his rookie year even before the game, and Dame was out there watching it, and there was some goofy blooper in the game, and Dame kind of laughed at it. In a way, not maliciously, just kind of chuckled at it. And Jay Toronto went over to him and was like, hey, Dame, just so you know, man, like, this is these guys' game. Like, they're not playing tonight. This is serious. They see you when you do that. Just keep that in mind. And, like, he remembered that eight, nine years later, whatever it was, mm-hmm. as, like, a fundamental lesson in his career. Like, I, I came out of that just a true Damian Lillard believer, and I still am. The, the point that you brought up a bit ago about – like him making eye contact in that moment, it was really striking. And, and what it was specifically, I was asking about some lyrics he had wrote where he kind of referenced uh, Dirk Nowitzki and Giannis and what their championships kind of meant and wanting to, you know, he talked about kind of the lonely hill, uh, you know, that he's trying to reach of, you know, they're not, they weren't in the hugest markets, not the glamour markets had been through ups and downs and eventually reached a championship. And I know you've talked before about what, Dirk Nowitzki's championship, like the the context and the frame or, or the framing about how that's discussed in the NBA and how special it is, how it kind of stands alone in some ways. And, and Giannis maybe in the same, in the same category. Um, and when he went to make eye contact with me, you know, this was after, you know, kind of discussing a championship and thinking, you know, what if I, if I, I think about if I don't make it and, you know, what would that mean and everything else, but what, like he said something to the effect of, you know, what more can I give other than a championship? But when he, turned to look at me and like kind of pause for a second to drive home his point. He was saying, you know, I, to that point, I will die on that lonely Hill. And he thinks about what, how valuable those kind of championships are, like what they mean, not only to um, what they mean, not only to the player, but to the organization, to the fan base that you've spent a long time connecting with, they are kind of different, you know, not all, not all, Rings are the same. I don't know where you fall on the the whole rings conversation. And, you know, Chauncey Billups had a lot to say about the way that we view championships and if they're overvalued or, you know, things of that nature. Um, but, yeah, that was a that was a telling moment to me when he paused, wanted to make eye contact and really drive that that point home. So here's one thing that I actually maybe I'm a, a cockeyed optimist, Baxter. <laughs> But the one thing I kind of disagreed with a little bit about Dame in, in your piece, uh, with Dame sp- directly, and I think with some some commentary I see in the media, you know, he talked about how there's all this, you know, we we criticize Charles Barkley for not having won a ring, and we, denig- we denigrate these guys' careers for not having won a ring, and it's all about rings and this. And I, and I see that all the time on Twitter as like, well, this is, if you want to know why guys change teams and demand trades it's because you the big bad media and fandom have created this hashtag rings or bust discourse and maybe i'm just 
reading the wrong things or the right things, I guess, or listening to the wrong things or listening to the right things, depending on how you frame it. I actually don't feel that as much anymore as I did five, six, seven, eight years ago. I think there is actually sort of a growing nuance and appreciation for, yeah, it's hard to win a championship and there's no shame in so many things have to go right. You have to be on the right team. There's nothing wrong with being an awesome player and never winning a championship. It's not some fundamental flaw. It's not this, it's not the first sentence of your career anymore. I don't, I don't, you know, maybe it, I don't know when it started to change, but I, I, I don't feel that sort of hashtag rings stuff dominating the discourse anymore. And again, it could just be the discourse I'm selectively listening to. I, I love that you brought that up, you know, on my I think it was on my way up or maybe the day before I'd finished reading um, David Halberstam's The Breaks of the Game, which, you know, chronicles the Blazers in the late 70s, their championship and how everything fall apart after Bill Walton broke his foot. And when I was up there, um, I ended up talking to Chauncey Billups about it, The you know, how the Blazers the year after they won the title, won 50 of their first uh, 60 games were seemingly going to roll, you know, the beginning of a dynasty. Then he breaks his foot, never plays a game for them, and it's over. And he started reflecting on his championship in Detroit and how if Tayshawn Prince doesn't get that chase down block um, against Indiana, I want to say in the final in the final minute uh, on the road, I believe uh, that maybe they don't win it all. And he was just saying like it's there's all these as you said there's all these things that have to go right. You can be the best team and everything else, but you know as the as the title of that book, you know, the breaks of the game, like one thing can go wrong and, and that's it. And maybe that's your only chance. That's as close as you'll ever come. You know, I don't know if the, if the Blazers will get back to the conference finals, maybe 19 is as close as they get. Um, I don't know. And, and Damien talked about that a lot. He's like, I, you know, I don't know. You just don't know. Like he referenced how, when they played Boston a year ago in January, like the Celtics were kind of like, meh, and then they went on that hot run and end up in the NBA finals. And so he leans a little bit on that uncertainty of how anything could happen, um, both good and bad, which can define a season, can break a season. Um, but I, I, I very much agree with you. Like, it's just it's so hard and there's so much luck involved. It's not just who has the best team. Like, it's that's part of it. But there's really so many other things that have to go your way to even be in I, position. I think, I think there's two different things that sometimes get conflated the thing number one and what he talked about a lot was acknowledging that there is a hole in someone's career if they don't win a ring that there's a sense of man I wish I had accomplished that one last thing and in that sense there's a, a lack of ultimate fulfillment I think that often gets conflated sometimes with um analysis of the player in question being flawed in some way because they didn't check that box. And I think we're, I feel like we're becoming better at separating those two things. Like just say Giannis had never won, stayed in Milwaukee his entire career and never won. I feel like we would have been better in 10 years as we are with Steve Nash and others that have recently retired of being like, yeah, it's a bummer. He didn't win one. And you know, Steph's got X and KD went to golden state and got a couple and maybe he gets another, whatever LeBron got four, five, six, whatever it ends up being. And Giannis got none. That's that stinks. But man, it doesn't color my perception of him as a top whatever. I mean, he's going to be a top 10, 12, 15, whatever he is player at the end of his career. It doesn't it doesn't influence that at all. 
and and a lot of that comes down to how do you play when you get there? How do you play when you get the opportunity in the conference finals, in the second round, in the finals if you get there? And he has stepped up every single time, just as Dame has. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. But no, no, no. I think that I, at, at differentiating those things. I think you're right about the nuanced conversation. Like the, I think the whole basketball conversation has evolved for the better. You know, we could talk about the ways in which social media has impacted everything and so on. But I do think that the overall conversation has become more enlightened, that there is more nuance. I agree with you. And look, if, if Damian Lillard doesn't win a championship, I don't know that people are going to view him, you know, as like, oh, he didn't try hard or didn't this, you know, this or that. Like, look at last night, 71 points. He's been doing, he's been playing. He's having the best year of his of his. uh career so far statistically on a night-to-night basis as he's talked about he is available plays great gives the people their money's worth you know there there is this question of like you know what more can i do aside from a championship but in some ways it's not only in his hands that's on the front office that's on luck and fate and these things are that are you know outside of his control but uh i don't think anyone you know denies his greatness and everything that he's achieved over a long period of time there here, here are his uh, last, let's see, 20 games, 19 games since January 12th. Just point totals because I, it's ridiculous. 50, 36, 40, 44, 25, 24. Oh, big slump, 49 points in two games. 37, 60, 30, 42, 42, 29, 40, 28, 33, 38, 40, 39, 71. I mean, it's just, it's just outrageous. And by the way, look, the Blazers with him on the floor, 120.6 points per 100 possessions, 117.2 allowed. That's plus three point floor, 120.6, way better than the league's number one offense off the floor. That 120.6 becomes 107.9, 13 point drop. 113 points allowed, minus 5.3. So plus 3.4 to minus 5.3. MVP conversation is too rich for for a team who's 29 and 31. Um, And according to the projection systems, because they have a a tough schedule um, and two more road games and home games, has like a 55 chance percent. It's 55-45 according to the most projection systems that they don't even get into the play-in. 45% into the play-in. 538 has them as a result, 13% chance to make the playoffs. Um, that may end up being a little low. I don't know. So MVP, we, we got to throw that out. You can't be in the MVP conversation. First team all NBA. Time to take a real hard look at name at first team all NBA. And the other question, and you talked to Joe Cronin a little bit, who's the GM of the Blazers, and like name is a Blazers lifer in the NBA is sort of, okay, how, how do we, how do we get back into that stratosphere? And you had an anonymous GM in there talking about how, you know, they're one move away maybe from, from getting in there. And then you had a lot of GMs being skeptical, like exactly how is that move going to happen? And at, at the trade deadline, my general take was, if this is your goal, maximizing the prime of 32-year-old Damian Lillard, you have to look hard at painful things like, what can we get for Anthony Simons? What can we get for Shaden Sharp? What can we get for Anthony Simons and Shaden Sharp? 
and a draft pick, even though we owe this weird protected pick to Chicago that extends for a long time and makes it hard for us to trade picks. And I, I kind of chat, like I would have been all in on Durant. I said it over the summer. I would have thrown everything I could at Durant. In retrospect, now, even then and now, it's very clear that Durant was a one-horse-ish race and they didn't have the goods to compete with what Phoenix offered in the end anyway, even if it was a multi-horse race. Um, and I, I kind of chastised them at the trade deadline afterwards for, you know, how do you not even just sniff around what you could get? And the and the more I think about it, and the more I think about that GM you mentioned and how they're one move away, the comparison I made was actually, and this might be pie in the sky, the 2011 Mavs, who just kind of plugged away, plugged away, plugged away, plugged away. And then one year, the right set of moves, the right set of pieces, the right set of variables just kind of fall into place. And I think that's what that GM is saying. And I think that's what they're actually doing. I think they identified correctly this year, if not Durant, there's nobody out there that makes sense to, to throw all our chips in. We tried at the draft, the previous draft, and failed to trade the number seven pick for OG Ananobi. That's the kind of like small additive. If we have him and Grant and Simons and Dame and hit on another little free agency signing here, and then we get to break in the playoffs, somebody gets hurt, maybe and 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 shaded it, but and and now that transitions to maybe like Shade and Sharp pops really in two years. Maybe Simons becomes a superstar. There's there's all these maybes, and it's a long shot. And they're not as good and haven't been as good as those Mavericks teams that were leading up to 2011. But I think that's the kind of hand they're playing. And maybe somewhere down the line, there will be a star that is actually worth all. Like, I remember I just made up these like fake Zach Levine trades to Portland before the trade deadline. And I think Kevin Pelton rightly was like, is that really helping their team? I'm like, no, but I can't think of anyone better. And maybe the I can't think of anyone better is the point. And maybe someday there will be something better. Yeah. And it, it is this complicated thing. You know, Joe talked about like having a sense of urgency and, and Chauncey Billups talked about that, too. He's like, we we want nothing more than to get him a ring. Like he's done everything. He's um, NBA uh, 75, you know, all 75 team. He's, you know, they'll like, he's going to have statues and he's meant everything to this franchise. He's the best player who's ever played here, but we want to do it. But then, you know, you rightly point out like the time element, like how many more years like this from Dame can anyone reasonably expect? And what kind of moves, you know, is there enough time? It's this really tricky chess thing of like, are the, are the young players we have, is there time enough for them to develop at the rate that we need and take the leap that we need so that we can still maximize Dame's prime? And it's this tricky thing, um, you know, because you still, because then does he take a backseat and let them develop more, which might mean losing more games unless you threaten your chance at the postseason or the seedings or whatnot. Like it's, it's, it's a very tricky needle to thread the team trying to, you know, get back to a certain level with what they have and, and so forth before his window closes. Um, I, I, I'm not sure how they get there, like I, but I'm not in the GM chair either. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I mean, just objectively, it's exceedingly unlikely that any team in a vacuum wins a championship in like an X five year span. Like that's just the the status quo for almost every team, unless you're really lucky and you start that five year span with three stars or whatever. It's exceedingly unlikely. The Blazers are going to win a championship with Damian Lillard as things stand right now. doesn't mean it's impossible that just a lot of stuff has to go right. And maybe a lot of that stuff will go right. Who knows? Uh, I just want to end with, I found the quote about cleaning the house. Um, Cause I asked him about like, how do, how is there not, 
pointing finger pointing in the wake of a loss, a sweep like that Pelican sweep in 2018. And he said, I grew up that way. This is just him and I talking in the hallway after a game. I grew up that way. Let's say we had to clean the house and my job was to clean the kitchen. My brother is supposed to do the bathroom. My sister is supposed to clean the living room. If I do my job, but that other stuff ain't done, then we didn't do it. That was my upbringing. We all go down together. And I'll tell you, Baxter Holmes, at that moment in the Moda Center late at night, I was ready to like go dunk on the floor for Damian Lillard. And I, I became like a true believer on that trip because everyone was, everyone, players, coaches, everyone was telling me these Dame stories. Anyway, Baxter Holmes has a great Dame story up today on ESPN.com. Go read it. Thank you for a brief Damian Lillard interlude, Baxter Holmes. Uh, go back to the Sarver beat, if there is a Sarver beat anymore. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, let's bring in one of my favorite people in the whole league to talk hoops with. To discuss, I think in this sort of morass of the West, there's been a lot of attention on a lot of teams and not enough attention on one particular team outside of the endless, and I, I hate to break it to their fans, the end is not anywhere near in sight, uh, endless analysis of one particular trade, uh, not enough uh, discussion of the Minnesota Timberwolves who are coming off just an absolutely disastrous weekend of basketball, uh, losing at home to the Charlotte Hornets. Following up a loss at home before the All-Star break to the Washington Wizards, this team has no more home games to play with, and they just bonked away two to bad Eastern Conference teams. Wizards are not bad. Let's give the Wizards some respect. The Wizards are okay. And then a fall from ahead, very Wolvesy loss at Golden State to the JV Warriors. Now, in their defense, they were kind of the JV Wolves in some respects, too, although Nas Reed balled out. The Minnesota Timberwolves, John Krasinski, my friend from The Athletic, how are you? I'm good, Zach. I'm I'm all right. The Timberwolves themselves are hanging on by their fingernails, but uh, tense times over here in Minnesota, but things are good here. Tense times. So last night they lose in Golden State, which without Rudy Gobert, uh, Torian Prince, uh, Jalen Noel, I'm missing somebody else who did Carl play. Anthony Towns. Oh, well, I mean, like, that's just, <laughs> I mean, like, that's just ongoing. <laughs> yeah. um, they lose to a Warriors team without Draymond Green, Stephen Curry, 
Andrew Wiggins, among other people. So it's like, let's call it even ish, although ad- injury advantage warriors with the bigger with the bigger uh, missing player and Curry. Mm-hmm. The Wolves are now 31 and 32. They're under 500. They have a point differential for the season of minus 17. If you look through the lineup data, parse it any way you want. Gobert, no towns. Ant Gobert, no towns. Ant Towns, no Gobert. Conley has barely played, so it's too early. Um, they're all just mediocre. There's no lineup data you can point to be like, well, if they only could play this group, this is an elite team hiding in plain sight. That doesn't exist for the Timberwolves, who again are now under 500. They've played 34 home games already. So they have seven. They have the toughest schedule in the league by winning percentage. And only seven of their last, I don't know, whatever, 19 games are at home. Now, the schedule thing is a little misleading because both of their Brooklyn games are still left on the schedule. And the winning percentage formulas are like pretending that the Brooklyn Nets are still good and they're getting shellacked every night now without KD and Kyrie. So the Wolves schedule isn't quite as bad as it appears. But I don't need to tell you, John, that missing the playoffs this year would be an absolute disaster, would open up at least the minuscule chance that that unprotected pick they owe Utah one of four picks, plus Walker Kessler, Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, Bolmaro, who is gone Beverly. now, mm-hmm. uh, Beverly, um, that they traded for Rudy Gobert, who's been about as good as Walker Kessler this season. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just a little risk exposure on that pick <laughs> if they miss the playoffs, that if that actually came back, even if that ended up being in like the – forget the nightmare scenario, the real French nightmare scenario mm-hmm. – even if it's like number four, after, after people have already forgot, you know who won the Rudy Gobert trade indirectly? Mm. Gerson Rosas, because people have already just moved right on by Jonathan Kaminga yes. being collateral damage from the D'Angelo Russell Andrew Wiggins trade, which was a disaster in its own right. You add up the disasters and it starts to really not be great. Um, so, so. I don't know. I don't even know where to start, John. It's just not gone well. It's not gone terribly, but it's not gone well. They're 21st in offense, 11th in defense. They are 10 and 11 with Cat, 21 and 21 without Cat. So you can't even point to that as like a big turning point in the season. As we go with 19 games left, like what are you even they're, – they're on now on this California road trip, Lakers, Clippers coming up, huge games – like, what are you even looking for in a, as an observer of this team? Yeah, I mean, I think, Zach, that when you you watch the team, there's been ebbs and flows throughout the season where you think, hey, maybe they're putting something together a little bit. Maybe they're finding a little rhythm with Rudy Gobert. Uh, maybe they're starting to figure some things out. But I will tell you, as a guy who likes to keep an even keel, who doesn't really kind of sway with the wind very much and and often frustrates Wolves fans for not calling for heads more often and things like that. But right now, I think they are in a very low point. Uh, they just had Washington Charlotte at home and the very damaged wizard or warriors on the road. They needed to go at minimum two and one, but three and oh, ideally to try and keep pace in the Western conference at, with this schedule that comes up at Clippers at Lakers at Kings. Um, they have the warriors again on the road later. They have just a murderous schedule down the stretch. And so 
when you look at how they are playing, um, Anthony Edwards looks tired. Uh, they do not have a secondary score now that D'Angelo Russell is gone. And Rudy Gobert has been just okay. And for all that they gave up for Rudy Gobert, they needed him to be far greater than just okay. And oh, by the way, we're still not sure exactly when Towns is going to come back. People are starting to hint at it that he's getting closer, but it's not right around the corner. And so they are in a very bad spot right now. And there's just no way to sugarcoat it or look at it. They are in a very difficult position and it's hard to see what they can do immediately to kind of pull out of the mess that they're in right now. Now, the West is so, so close together that we have all this negative talk. They could get fifth if like a lot of things go right now. Fourth, I think is going to be out of reach because a certain guy is coming into the fourth place team in Phoenix pretty soon. And that's going to change the dynamics of that team. But right now, the way they're playing, the schedule they have left, the fact that they are, I believe, 11 and 18 on the road and have a Mm -hmm. bundle of road games left. It's really hard to see the positive scenario from here. And the more likely discussion that you would try to have, I think, is can we at least with Utah having sold off some pieces but showing no signs of of really even that dramatic of a slippage with the Pelicans in disaster zone with Zion just hurt all the time with Portland having kind of had an eh trade deadline and trying to find themselves. OKC with Shea hurt the last couple of games has fallen behind a little bit. Can I, to me, the discussion with Minnesota is, can we get like seventh or eighth? Can we host a play in tournament? Now they could get higher than that. If some things go wrong in Dallas and with the Clippers and all that, but that is, if I had to sort of narrow my brain focus to what's the macro outcome, I feel like, I, I feel like Wolves fans would probably, would they sign up for that right now? Like hosting the first round of the play in tournament? Right now, for sure, because I mean, I think that the optimist would say, yeah, you're only a game and a half out of what five right now, but you're also only a game and a half up of 13. So with the way that the Wolves are playing right now, I do think it is if they could get to seven, that would be amazing. Um, I, I think that around here locally, fans are very much thinking that six has that ship has sailed like that, that how do you overcome Dallas, the Lakers are coming up from behind them uh, with with some force. And you just look at the way that teams are playing right now. I mean, you watch the Clippers and the Nuggets player, the you know, the Clippers and the Mavericks are, um, you know, some of these other teams, the Lakers, and they are all playing with energy, with force, with with some sort of intensity. And the Wolves are flat right now. And how do they rediscover that is a big, big issue that they are going through. I think that Anthony Edwards is learning what life is like as the one number one scoring option. And um, Rudy Gobert, they are great when Rudy Gobert is on the floor defensively. They're terrible when he is on the floor offensively. And so they don't have anything right now. Chris Finch said it after the Charlotte loss. We do not have anything to hang our hats on. There is not like some sort of foundational uh, lineup um, sets that you can go to in the half court that make them think if we just do this, we are in good shape. They are searching for an identity right now. And it is very hard to rediscover that on the fly playing some of the opponents that they're going to be playing. I think you just said the word that's been on my mind every time I've watched them is identity. Mm -hmm. And 
I, I just don't know what it is. And part of that is that, and you mentioned Cat, the hints that Cat may be coming back soon. Well, soon, I mean, there's 19 games left in their in their season. The first 21 games with Rudy were a messy learning process, as you would have expected it to be. Well, that learning process was cut short, and it has to. Re- it's not like you just now fit Cat into a team that has figured out lots of stuff about itself and where he fits. That learning process has to start again, almost from scratch. When he comes back, whenever that is. And in the meantime, I I just don't know, you know, what their sort of founding principle, identity, organizational principle really is. And you look at the the way they play and and the numbers. What's striking to me is how they totally remodeled their team, not remodeled, but they add this big piece in Gobert that's supposed to stabilize certain things about your team. And in a lot of ways, they're still kind of similar to last season's team. And we can start with, with I, I look at them, all the, all the non-shooting ingredients that make up what you are as a team were totally out of whack last year and are still out of whack in like the same way as this year. So you look defensively there, 11th. That's pretty good. I mean, you'd like to be a little better than that with not just Gobert. McDaniels is an all-defense candidate guarding everyone from point guards to Clay Thompson to power forwards. Ant has become a, a very good defensive player. But 11th is okay. And it's the same stuff as last year. They're dead last in opponent free throw rate. They allow more free throws than anybody. They're 27th in defensive rebounding, which is just... I just don't understand why they can't get rebounds for the the second straight year, at least. And they're forcing a ton of turnovers, which is exactly how they were when they were playing that blitzing, frenzied scheme with Cat at the top because you can't have Cat as a rim protector. Well, the whole point of Gobert was to dial that back and become a sort of more conservative, reliable defense. They haven't done that. And part of the Gobert Towns messy learning process I mentioned was figuring out Okay, when do we want Rudy on screen setters so that we can play a drop defense? When do we want to put Rudy Robert Williams the third style on like your PJ Tuckers and let him roam and put Cat at the point of attack? And when we do that, do we want Cat playing that trapping blitzing style we did last year? Do we want a different kind of style? They haven't answered any of those questions. And the metrics of their defense do not look like a Rudy Gobert defense at all. So it's like a weird they 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 project statistically as this frenzied team and they don't play really with that frenzy anymore it's strange yeah there's there's an identity crisis in that the the holdovers from last season had some success with that frenzied style they bring rudy gobert in and they try to play more of the drop coverage controlled style and that didn't that was a hard adjustment for Anthony Edwards for Jaden McDaniels for D'Angelo Russell when he was here for Carl Anthony Towns it was a lot of of changing the way that they felt that they had been uh, successful. And they looked at it as last year of, hey, we made the playoffs. We could have beaten Memphis with this style. And so now you're asking us to change and the early returns on it were difficult. And so I think that is that was a hard thing for a lot of the players, especially the young ones uh, to absorb and and to say, this this is a harder way of playing for us, even if in the long term it's going to be better and more effective. I think that there was a reluctance early to embrace that. And so they have had to work through that part 
of playing with Rudy Gobert. It's not when Rudy Gobert comes into a team, as they have found, you have to change a lot to accommodate him and to maximize him. That's why Mike Conley is here right now. One of the reasons Mike Conley is here and and not D'Angelo Russell. Um, And it's not like Donovan Mitchell just going into Cleveland and kind of doing what he does and, and just making it work. You have to be really high IQ. You have to be really on a string with Rudy Gobert. And it just has not kind of played out that way for much of the season. And oh, by the way, Rudy Gobert has not been the Rudy Gobert that we've seen in the past. He is not as uh, reactive. He is not as quick moving um, to block shots. He does not block as many shots, nearly as many as he did in Utah. There is just, he doesn't look comfortable either. And so um, ultimately, long story longer, the worst case scenario has played out for the Timberwolves in that with Carl Anthony Towns out, they haven't even really gotten a chance to see if this the, those two would have grown together and would have worked or if it would have just been a complete disaster and not worked. Now they're going into likely the the the, the stretch run and into this offseason with not really any real sample size of do, does this pairing can this pairing work? And that's going to make it a lot harder to make decisions going forward for the next couple of years because that he's just because Cat has been out for so long. You know, I, I don't know about you. If I'm giving up four picks and a swap, how many swaps do they give up? Well, I think just one swap. One, one swap. And good players, really good, good players. young players. Vanderbilt's yeah. 23 and like has changed on a great Lakers contract, unbelievable from, contract from day one. Beasley's 26 and Beasley's got some issues, but he can shoot mm-hmm. the hell out of it off movement, which is a rare thing. If I'm giving up all that, I kind of want to know, to use your phrasing, that it's not going to be a disaster. I kind of yeah. would like, I kind of <laughs> would like the floor to be like just not a disaster. Like they gave up the same pick equity almost, not quite the same players, obviously, as the Suns did for Durant. And I know it's apples to oranges and the Gobert benchmark is a false benchmark, but like you had a player like Durant, it doesn't even matter who's on your team. Like mm-hmm. it's going to help your team. It's Kevin Durant. Gobert is at, is challenging 6.9 shots per game at the rim. That's the same number as last year. Opponents are shooting 57.5% on those shots against him. That's probably a little worse than average for starting NBA centers. Peak Gobert, as recently as last year, that number's under 50%. Mm-hmm. And sometimes well under 50%. That's not all Rudy Gobert. Defense is a team thing. But I agree with you. And I said this at the beginning of the season. He almost looks uncertain at yes. times about like, do I challenge this shot? If I do that, is my guy going to catch a lob? Can I trust the guys beside me? They're new. They're unfamiliar. They probably are better on balance than the guys I played with defensively in Utah, but I, I, I don't know. And all of a sudden he's caught in between. It's just been very, it's been very strange. And Conley, it's only five games and they're actually plus a little bit in the Conley and Gobert minutes, a very little bit in 91 minutes. He's averaging nine points a game. And I know it's early and I know he was brought there to basically pass to Gobert and not be D'Angelo Russell, but I'd like a little more than just like, it's nice that you're not D'Angelo Russell. I, I just like, if you look at the, if you start churning what they traded to get D'Angelo Russell and what now that has become in nine points a game over five games, like I'd like it to be a little more than that. Is that okay? Can I ask for like 12 points a game? Yeah, especially right now, Zach, with Cat out, I think that if it, I think one of the reasons that the Wolves made that deal 
obviously D'Angelo is going to be a free agent this summer. They did not want to resign him. So you want to get something back that you can, you, you can have a chess piece to play with next season and all that. That's, that's great. But I think the, one of the other reasons was, Hey, when Carl Anthony towns comes back to this lineup, you're going to have Edwards, you're going to have towns. Even Jane McDaniels is growing in his offensive capabilities. Good year for him. Good year. Very we, good just, year. we should say that this has been a net plus good yeah. developmental year for Jane McDaniels. He's a Absolutely. very, very good player. No doubt. And so, um, and so there was a thought of, we need a quarterback of this offense and not one that needs a lot of shots to be really effective. And so maybe in that stretch, you want a game manager type, but with Carl Anthony towns out right now, you still need Mike Conley. I think to score a little bit more like last night, he should not have passed the ball to Jordan McLaughlin in the corner um, that for the potential game time three, he should have shot that three from the wing like that. Those are some of the things that they need him to be a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more effective at the rim. Certainly having Rudy Gobert out there will help him with that as well. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think it's too much to ask. And I did say when they made the trade for when they made, they shipped D'Angelo Russell out, I did say that they were going to miss his shooting, especially in the fourth quarter. And they have absolutely missed it. D'Angelo was shooting the lights out for them. Um, they do not have another secondary offensive option, even in the same stratosphere as Russell right now. And that puts a lot more on Anthony Edwards shoulders and it just makes things a lot. It makes it even more imperative that they're a good defensive team. And they haven't been a good defensive team in the fourth quarters either lately. So um, all of this is just it's just going really wrong for them right now. Now, they can turn it around, but uh, but right now it does not look good. Yeah, Mike Conley as a as a big plus defender, a point guard is long gone like that. Mm-hmm. Era, he's too old for that. And that's not that's not a knock on him. That's just life. I and mean, D'Angelo Russell is a big minus and probably Mike Conley's better than him. But it's mm-hmm. not like it's changing your team better and i said at the night of the trade deadline to your point about like d'angelo russell shooting this season he's having the best shooting season of his career by a lot better than 42 90 almost it's crazy better than his all-star season his fake Mm all-star season in brooklyn and what i said was what a vote of no confidence in just the general idea of d'angelo russell to trade him for mike conley in a career season like what what does that say about what the Wolves thought of D'Angelo Russell but they do miss his scoring and offensively the same stuff about the identity and and all the non-shooting ingredients applies there too like if you if cleaning the glass our our buddy Ben Falk Mm -hmm. tracks this like if you shot um an average field goal percentage what would your effective field goal percentage be as a team based on where your shots come from and it's a measure of like do you take the right kinds of shots the Wolves are second in the entire league. They take a lot of threes and a ton of shots at the rim, and their offense is 21st mm-hmm. in points per possession because they are 16th in free throw, right? Okay, that's fine, 16th, whatever. 28th in turnovers and 25th in offensive rebounding. It's just a, it's just a mess across the board. It's just a messy way of playing. Right. And especially offensive rebounding, um, they have abandoned it essentially because they are so bad in transition defense that they've had to just say, we are not going to the glass offensively. We're going to get back because we were getting beat down the floor in transition defense earlier in the season as badly as they did. And so you're putting one finger in the dike in the dam to stop one leak and another is springing or two more springing 
all over the place. And so that that's a big, I mean, that's just a, a, a big thing that they have grappled with all season long is they have not been able to get to a point where the one or two leaks in the dam are not ones that are killing you. And, and they are the, the turnovers um, have been absolutely backbreaking and the lack of offensive execution in crunch time has also been terrible. Um, one big key to that is Kyle Anderson was terrific for them early in the season, especially right away when cat went down, moving into that starting lineup, stabilizing things, being an adult, he has hit a wall physically. I think whether it's, you know, he's had mm. back issues all game, all, all season long. He has had, I think the minutes are maybe loading up on him a little bit. He's not the same player he was a month ago. And so he's missed um, a lot of bunny in games. I've watched yep. he's missed a lot of bunnies, a lot of floaters. Like he just hasn't, the shot making has also not been there from two from three. He's actually been okay for, yeah, exactly. And, and from three early, it was 41, 42%. It was great. Um, and it, it it's, it's been solid lately, but he doesn't take a high volume and, and the, the, the little things that he was always doing to help win games um are are drying up a little bit he's having more turnovers he is missing those bunnies he's he is not quite as spry defensively lately as he was earlier in the season but ultimately Zach like if you are saying that Kyle Anderson hitting a wall is is going to be the thing that really dooms you that tells you that your 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 house of cards was a little bit uh, was unstable just to start with and so um Again, it kind of does go back to not having towns for as long as you have just to have the bucket getting yep. uh, element of it. It's it's so huge. And I, they're 10 and 11 with them, like I said, but over the course of an 82 game season, he's now missed the 42 games like there's going to be 15 games where he just wins you the third quarter, which yes. ends up winning you the game because he suits. He makes five threes and exactly and, or whatever it is. Um. Slow-mo has largely been fantastic for them. Yeah. I mean, they'd be dead in the water without him and without Nas Reed, who just continues to get better and better every year and will get a good contract this summer. He's a very good player. Um, you know, you mentioned the the cost, the um, the financial element of, of swapping D'Angelo Russell and his impending free agency for Conley. I think there's this idea that the Wolves will have a bite at the cap space apple at some point before Ant's big deal comes in. And it's just not, it's not true. Mm -hmm. Like no. right now in the, in the summer of 2024, which was when they'll have to pay Ant if they haven't extended him already. And my guess is like, you just throw the max at that yeah. guy. He's amazing. It's going to happen this summer um, for sure. So like already they have 94 million to the two big guys. You throw in a max for Ant, you're out of room. That's it. You haven't even mentioned Jada McDaniels yeah. or the empty roster spots. Yeah. Like there is no cap space savior coming here. Mm -hmm. Um, and we should probably just say Ant has been awesome. Like Terrific. Ant deserved to make the All-Star game. 25 and six, four and a half assists. The turnovers are what they are. Like four and a half assists to three and a half turnovers is kind of not ideal. Um, I thought, yeah. but it, but it's what you expect from a 21-year-old. Exactly. Like it's, it's not, it's, I thought he'd be a little better this year at, hunting and and abusing smaller guys and you see them call plays to try to get him to do that he's flirted with a post game it hasn't really taken hold and i think one of the reasons there are stagnant late game possessions and there were last night against the warriors is that's just not a go-to thing for him yet the way it is for tatum 
Brown, Durant. Okay, all else fails. Let's pick out the smallest guy and get our biggest good wing against him. He's not quite there yet, but overall he's been he's been everything you could possibly ask for. And it, I don't think it's fair to ask him to be like eight assists and three turnovers. That's not what he is now, and it may not be what he ever will be, but he's been fantastic overall. The, the around him, there just hasn't been any consistency in any identity. Yeah. And I think like that is the issue when the Wolves made the Rudy Gobert trade, it was believing that Ant was ready to make a leap. And it looks like he is making a leap. It was we have Carl Anthony Towns coming off an all NBA season and that this team is going to go a little bit quicker than maybe you would if you're if normally you're you're building everything around a 21 year old. And by the way. I can't sit here like I thought they would be a regular season. 100%. I thought they would win between 48 and 52 games in a regular season. I was have been proven. You can chalk it up to the cat injury, I guess, whatever. Like I have been proven wrong. I can't sit here and say like, oh, I knew I had playoff skepticism Mm -hmm. about them, but I thought they were a top six team and that has not been the case. Yeah, even even a lot of the pessimists of the deal right away, and there are a legion of them, believe that. Rudy Gobert is a is a floor raiser and that you would be in the playoffs. No question about it again. Yeah, you don't account for losing your best or second best player. Um, you know, one of your, the, one of the faces of your franchise for more than half the season like that. That is a big blow. I do think that they also underestimated um, how quickly Rudy Gobert would be able to assimilate here in Minnesota. And, and earlier this season, I talked to. Mike Conley, before he was traded here, Donovan Mitchell and Joe Ingles about the process of getting to learn how to play with Rudy. And they all said it took a year and they they had to figure things out. It just takes a while to get that down. The problem is the Wolves don't have a year to wait for this because Rudy's going to be 31 next year. He's getting older. Um, and and there there's a lot of pressure on everything right now with the way that it is. The good news for them is that Anthony Edwards is a franchise player like and and only getting better. You can build around that. You can figure things out as you go along. But when you bring Rudy Gobert in and when you when you trade the chips that they did, that pushes everything to the middle of the table quicker. And they have not been able to withstand the injury to Towns and they have not been quite ready for Rudy hasn't been ready to do it either. And so it is just kind of it it sped up the process because normally you'd say, hey, Ant, have all the turnovers you want right now. Just figure this stuff out on your own. And in two or three years, it'll all pay dividends. It probably will eventually anyway for them, but they need to win right now, just given the stakes of the deal. And that's the 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 double edged sword that has come with this with this trade right now if if the whatever percent it ends up being it could be 0.5% it could be 4% if that pick becomes one oh. Yama, oh my they gosh need to, i think the nba should make them rename the target center <laughs> like the the jared the jared vanderbilt center or or the or the ainge center or the oh, jazz center um Something like that. Um, let's go through their tie quickly here. I it's tiebreaker season now. Tiebreakers. So their tiebreaker situation isn't even that good. No. Clippers, they're up one. Oh, they got two games left. Okay, that's in play. Good for them. They're up in that one. Pelicans one one. That's their season finale. Will win win or lose that one. They only play them three times. Utah two two division record. They've got the edge. OKC they've won three to one. Golden State that was a big loss last night. 
They're now one and two with one game left at Golden State. Portland, one and two, one game left at home against Portland. Clippers, one, one, decided tomorrow about 30 hours after this podcast gets posted. They will have a game that decides that one. Dallas, they've won two to one. So the tiebreakers aren't even that great for them. And I'll just end with this. I mentioned all the money they've got locked up and the, the, the fake cap space savior that won't be coming for them. My biggest fear since the moment they made that Gobert trade, and I said it that night, was that they are going to, from a position of weakness, have to trade cat to make up for the pick equity to to declutter their budget to just make their team make more sense and cats too good to trade cuz we just kind of have to but it just it just feels inevitable that we're going to get to like June 10th and someone is going to report like anonymous sources say blah 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 is interested in cat and and I I you know, I don't know what they should do. It just it has it has felt like the inevitable endgame since that trade happened. That at the very least, it's going to be something that's talked about uh, between teams. Yeah, it's absolutely. I, teams are already talking about it. Like, there's no doubt that other teams are eyeing this situation and and looking to see if Cat will become available. I can tell you from everyone that I've talked to within the organization, they very much believe in Cat. They believe that once he comes back. And and they have some time to build around Ant uh, and Gobert and Cat. They they very much believe that that can still work. Chris Finch believes it. Tim Connolly believes it. So they don't have any plans to trade him. But if if the bottom falls out of this thing and they go forward that way, uh, there there are going to be teams knocking on the door. Uh, I do think that overall, especially locally here, there is a lack of appreciation among fans for what Carl Anthony Towns is as a player. Cat what is, he's, is awesome. He's Cat's great. Awesome. He is. He is. He doesn't have to say it anymore. He's the best shooting big man of all time. And he might mm-hmm. be the most well-rounded scoring big man of all time. Yep. And he gets blamed for everything here. But he's had five general managers and seven head coaches in eight years. And so... Um, just the five think about general that. managers yeah. is almost more mind blowing yeah. than the seven head coaches. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Like as much if as much as fans want to say that Cat has failed to raise this team up or whatever, the Timberwolves have failed him as much or more. Um, more, I would say, just in terms of the infrastructure around him, the Jimmy Butler nonsense, like all of the things that happen has ha- that have happened here. It's um, have incredible been that they traded. I mean, apologies, apologies to the people they traded for him. They didn't, they didn't, well, they, they, they made out pretty well on the Butler trade. I mean, they gave up Levine. They gave up, um, they gave up Dunn. They gave up the pick that became Markinen. Um, So they traded real stuff for a second. I got mixed up with Philly who got Jimmy Butler for like really next to nothing and blew it with him. These teams just blew it with Jimmy Butler. Um, You know, look, it's just it's just it's just math and common sense. Like you can't trade Ant. Right. No one's gonna give you anything of note for Gobert on that contract. Maybe not anything of note, but you're not gonna come close to what you gave up. I, I hope it doesn't come to that. Um I hope it doesn't come to that. But and, and again, there's 19 games left in the season and maybe a play in and playoff. We'll see what happens when he comes back. When that's a, when when he comes back, um they have talent. And and so it's just a matter of do the puzzle pieces fit together? Uh, if you have if you have Edwards, you have McDaniel's, you have Towns, you have Gobert. 
that is a good for uh foursome there to to go into a game with especially into playing into playoffs with it's just a matter of can you make that fit together um I know that they they believe that that's going to be the case. And Anthony Edwards said it the other night. Once we get the big fella back, we're going to be in great shape. Um, but it's going to be a tall task for him to get up and run in in whatever it is, 15 games, 10 games, and, and then for them to find some sort of synergy. But the way that it looks right now, it can't get much worse because it's not it's it's not going great right now. And I I do believe in Carl Anthony Towns. I always have believed in him. Um, I think that his three-point shooting will help. I think that his overall offense will help. Uh, but it's going to be a breakneck pace to get that back. And then they're going to have to evaluate everything in the offseason and take a look at where they're at. But uh, we'll see. They believe in Cat. Um, and I think that he'll make a big difference when he's back out there. But we got to we got to see him out there first. Yeah, his three-point shooting will help. His three-point shooting at center is a game breaker. Yes. Yeah. His three-point shooting at power forward with Rudy Gobert on the floor is very, very helpful. And there's a big difference between those two things. And then who is he guarding and how is he guarding fours? Is he guarding fives? Is he guarding stretch fours? Like all of those are big questions because Carl Anthony Towns is, is for all the nice things we're saying for him has been a minus on defense his entire career. With the exception, I, he walked in like he's, I thought he was going to be a good defender. He looked great yeah. in his first 20 games and it just hasn't, it hasn't played out. By the way, under discussed footnote to the Jimmy Butler trade was Justin Patton. Yes. Um, and getting that 16th pick and doing nothing with it. But nothing. that's a that's a discussion for another day. And getting um, no picks when you send them to Philly. Like that was the big thing. When you sent Jimmy Butler to Philly. Yeah, you got I mean, that's in my that's why I got mixed up for a second. They got yeah. they got Covington, Sarich, and Jared, Jared Bayless, Bayless and a second round pick. And it's like, how? Yeah. Terribly, terribly handled. Awful. This is too depressing. We have 19 <laughs> games left to write the ship. Cats coming back at some point, TBD. You got a lot of raw talent. The West is open. Shoot one and a half games behind seed. five. Let's go. One Shoot and a half for games. the seventh seed. Shoot it, for the stars. It's John right Krasinski, there. You will be there to chronicle it all. Nobody covers this team like you. It's always a joy to talk to you. I hope to see you soon, my friend. Always great seeing you, Zach. Thanks for having me, man. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.